In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Among my colleagues in the ministry, there's a running joke that resurfaces every year leading up to the ninth Sunday after Trinity. I should have remembered to go on vacation this week. Why? Because many pastors find it difficult to preach on the parable of the dishonest manager. Some theologians have even called it the hardest parable. That's because it's unlike any other parable that Jesus tells. In nearly every other case, his parables are meant to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, most of his parables begin with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like... And since the kingdom of heaven is centered, of course, around Jesus, you can always find him in these parables. He is the good Samaritan who rescues the man beaten and left for dead in the middle of the road. He's the good shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. He's the merchant who finds a treasure hidden in a field and sells everything he has to redeem it. But not so with this parable. Some theologians have tried very hard to make a connection between Jesus and the dishonest manager. Jesus fudges the books of heaven to help us out with our debt of sin. But no, that doesn't work. Does Jesus say to us, well, how big of a sinner are you? How much do you owe? 100? Okay, let's make it 50. Of course not. Jesus' death on the cross pays for all sin in full, not half of it. And does Jesus get fired by God the Father for bad stewardship? No. Jesus is not the dishonest manager. Well then, what's going on here? This parable is different because today Jesus is not directly teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. His parable is meant to illustrate a point about how things work here on earth. The children of this world are very wise about a great many things. But in the end, none of those things have any eternal value. It's possible to be so smart and still miss the big picture. St. Paul writes, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Jesus' parable serves as a warning to us. So the manager, the dishonest steward, is a true scoundrel. He's been abusing his position for quite some time. How exactly? We don't know. Perhaps he's been skimming profits, siphoning funds, misreporting his hours. In any case, his shady behavior finally catches up with him, as it always does. His master fires him on the spot and sends him to clean out his desk. But technically, until he actually hands over the books... He's still the manager. So in a desperate move, he calls in all his master's debtors 
and significantly reduces their debts. And this is nothing other than theft and further abuse of his position. It's exactly the sort of behavior that got him fired in the first place, but he's way past caring. All he cares about is his immediate future, and now he's got all sorts of people who owe him a big favor. He says to himself, I don't want to do manual labor, and I'm ashamed to beg. But now these people will welcome me into their houses. And here's the surprising thing. Even though his master had been ripped off, he still commends the steward for his craftiness. Now, to be sure, Jesus is not condoning this behavior. He's not telling us to go out and be thieves and tricksters. But he is pointing out how good the sons of this world are at plotting in this way. Here's a man who was so devilishly clever at stealing from his boss that even the boss was impressed with his ingenuity. The problem here is that the man is too short-sighted. For all his cleverness, he failed to see the big picture. He was, as the saying goes, penny-wise and pound-foolish or dollar-foolish, as we would say in America. And where is that nice house now that he was received into? Where did all his schemes get him in the end? He was shrewd, but he didn't know the true purpose of wealth. And this is what Jesus wants to teach us in this parable. Think of this. People all over the world are planning for retirement. If you are still at work, if you haven't retired already, then I'm sure you too are planning for it. This means working hard now, investing, calculating, thinking ahead years in advance. Just like the steward, you're making investments in the next phase of your life what you will do, where you will live. And if you have already retired, hopefully your years of planning paid off and now you can live comfortably without worry. Nearly everyone in our world is busy with this, though we have to admit some people are far better at planning ahead than you and I. By the time some people retire, they've saved up far more than anyone could ever spend in three lifetimes. They've got houses and yachts and cars and everything else imaginable. The sons of this world are way better at this stuff than we are. Is that wrong? Is it bad to plan ahead like this? No. Now, of course, God doesn't want you stealing from your boss and ripping people off, but thinking ahead isn't wrong. The problem with the world is that for all its wisdom, it's incapable of thinking far enough ahead. We're only here on this earth for 70, 80, 90 years, but we will live forever somewhere else after that. So why is it that people work so tirelessly to ensure that they will have a nice earthly dwelling? 
But so few are concerned with their eternal dwelling. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't want to live in a nice house. Because you are his child, God cares deeply about your life, including where you'll live. But he is far more concerned with your eternal dwelling. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He said, I go away to prepare a place for you. But imagine if we spent a fraction of the energy we devote to securing our earthly dwellings, focused instead on eternal matters. Imagine what would happen if the sons of this world used their time, energy, talents, resources, and all that ingenuity in pursuit of the kingdom of heaven. That's the point of this parable. Money and possessions are a gift from God. But what are they for? Jesus tells us to use them toward the kingdom of heaven. Can Christians use filthy lucre, as some people call money? Yes, they can. Jesus calls it the mammon of unrighteousness. But he says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. The problem with the dishonest manager is that he gave no thought to his eternal home. He was too caught up in the immediate future to consider eternity. He was smart, it's true, but ultimately he was a fool. He didn't know what Jesus tells us clearly. Unrighteous wealth will fail. That's a guarantee. And when it does fail, what then? All of that scheming and plotting will have been for nothing. Don't be short-sighted like the unjust steward. Don't make friends whose hospitality is fleeting and who can help you only for the things that will perish in this world. Make friends with whom you can enjoy the treasures of heaven. Use whatever material gifts you have received from God to promote the extension of his kingdom in this world. And while you're at it, remember that you don't need to buy anyone's favor, as the dishonest steward did. Instead, give God's favor away freely, just as you have received it freely. Give the gospel and give your money to promote the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel reveals the favor of God that is purchased not with any amount of money, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the best way to make friends. And there is a cost to the gospel, but we don't pay it. Christ paid it. So understand today what is for sale and what is not. Men buy and sell favor for money, but their favor is short-lived. Memories are short. Loyalties are fleeting. Only in Christ can anything last. Only in him is their eternal life. Everything else will fail. Money will fail. 
Your little nest here on earth will fail. Even your body will fail. But all who trust in Jesus and his promises will be raised with glorious bodies to live in the heavenly mansions with Christ for all eternity. In his name, amen.